when I first got sober, pass it on was part of the whole thing. It was constant with our sponsors. They would say, go out and work with someone else. Pass it on. Pass on which that which was given to you freely. And that is the epitome of getting out of self. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you're all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Hello, 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 my little chickadees. That was the voice of Miss Julie that you heard at the beginning of this episode, and you are going to hear so much more from her in just a moment, but... First things first, this episode is brought to you by Jerry and Steve. You know what Jerry and Steve did? They went to our website, SoberSpeak.com, and who wouldn't want to go to that website, right? They clicked on the little yellow donate tab, and they made a contribution. So this episode, once again, Jerry and Steve is going right out to you. Thank you for your generous contribution. I, John M., will be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to be sitting in this seat, what I feel is among you all virtually. All right, so... We are going to have another big shindig. Sober Speak Live is coming up again on December 6th. And the event is with Miss Brenda J. Once again, her episodes in the Sober Speak catalog are number 50 and 90, 50 and 90. She, Miss Brenda J., has the most listened to episode on Sober Speak of all time, and that is episode number 90. Uh, it is called God and Grace. Uh, once again, even if you can't be uh, at the Sober Speak Live event, uh, you will do yourself a favor by going back and listening to that episode. All right. The event is going to run from 6.30 p.m. to 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. And we would love for you, those who are able to, to come be with us for an evening of love, light, and laughter with Miss Brenda J. Okay, she is going to be addressing four subjects, and these are perfect for holiday time, grief, forgiveness, compassion, and grace. Let me go through those again. She is going to be addressing grief, forgiveness, compassion, 
and grace. We're going to spend about 15 minutes on each topic. And if you would like to send in a question that you would like me to ask Miss Brenda J, you can send it to me at john, J-O-H-N, at soberspeak.com. Or if you're in the secret Facebook group, I'm going to be posting something there eventually where you can uh, put in your input there. Free Childcare will be available for those who need it, and we will be streaming the audio live in the secret Facebook group. I realize that, I don't know, 98% of this audience uh, is unable to make it to the Sober Speak live event because they don't live here in North Texas. So we're going to be streaming the event, the audio only, uh, in the secret Facebook group live on that 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. time slot on December 6th. And uh, who knows, maybe someday we will be able to bring a Sober Speak Live event out to your area. At this point, it's just about cost and logistics. And uh, I'd love to do something like that in the uh, future, but we don't have anything planned right now. All right. We will also have live music, I guess, as opposed to dead music. But nonetheless, we will be having live music from Miss. Wendy Child at the event. If you listen to the end of this episode today, you will hear some of her wonderful talent. I'm going to be playing another song like I've been doing the past few weeks, and the name of this song is Ghost. All right, so that's about it. I want to get right into the episode today with Miss Julie. All right, Julie, we are calling this particular episode Pass It On, as Pass It On has been a central theme throughout Julie's sobriety, and it is at the heart of the message she wishes to, for lack of a better word, pass on. (laughs) I'm sorry, I crack myself up sometimes. Anyway, Julie has been sober since 1979, and we talk with her about several things, but here's just a few things. We talked to her about her battle with cancer. Um, We address Julie's view on how people work the program and experience the steps in a variety of ways, not just one way. We address or we talk about rule number 62. And if you don't know what rule number 62 is, just keep listening to La Episode. We talk about the three sides, the trace sides of the triangle, service, unity, and recovery. And without Further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Miss Julie W. And we will have listener feedback along with Windy Child music at the end of this episode. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here with Miss Julie W. And uh, Julie, why don't we start with this? Why don't you go ahead? Introduce yourself and give your sobriety date if you so wish to do so. Okay, my name is Julie. I am an alcoholic. I've been sober since March 14th, 1979. March 14th, 1979. So help me with the math there. How many years is that? 40. Wow. Four zero. Continuous. Continuous. <laughs> Even on the weekends? Even on the weekends. Nights, too. <laughs> That's good to know. 
All right. So, and just to kind of uh, preface this, we've actually had Julie's, I don't want to say other half or worse half or better half, just, well, her other half on mm-hmm. the uh, program here before. His name is John W. And those of you who listen on a consistent basis, you may recognize him. The title of the episode were the, the 12 principles or the principles of Alcoholics yes. Anonymous. And so Julie is in here to correct everything that he told you that was wrong. The rebuttal. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a joke. Yes, yes. All right. So I'm glad you're in here today, Julie. So, all right, let's go ahead and get right into this. Um, 40 years, first of all, I I just kind of have to stop, pause. You know, it used to be, I remember when I first came in, to come across somebody who had 40 years in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous was almost unheard of. Now it's getting to be a little bit more uh, commonplace. And and that, I mean, that's a great thing. We have people like you that are 40 years sober, still living very active and in mm-hmm. very active lives in Alcoholics Anonymous. Yes. And going to meetings. That's right. I think that's the most important thing. Continuing to go to meetings, continuing to touch base. That's right. Yeah, and I can vouch for both John and Julie. They are there on a consistent basis and continue to give back and to and to soak in and to grow themselves. Yeah. Usually, I kind of go into you know people's background right off the bat, but uh, I, I wanted to cover this with you. So I know that I have heard you discuss before the the many people that have reached out to you and helped you along the right along the way right you can't do 40 years by yourself and and, and you can't even get started by yourself no nope. so why don't you talk to me a little bit about some of the people who have been important to you along the way okay the first person the person who took me to my first meetings her name was Joetta and uh, she's still alive. She's still sober. Uh, she took me to my first meeting on March 14th, 1979. So you came in and you've been sober ever since. Yes. That's great. I'm a, what do you call, one hit wonder. <laughs> so then it, it was the person who was sitting across from me at that meeting that gave me the hope that I needed at that second that attraction for the program, the the idea that I could stay sober came from Lindy, Lindy L., who is still alive and still sober, and she will have 41 years this year. Wow. Yeah. And she had six months when I came in. So let me back up real quick. You said Joetta was the one who took you to her first meeting. Yes. How did you get... Tangled up with Joetta somehow. She was an old drinking buddy. Okay. Okay. And I was sleeping on her sofa. And the night before, I had gone out and uh, partied and came back. And she told me that if I wanted to continue to sleep on her sofa, that I better go with her to a meeting because she was not going to allow that type of drinking in her house. Well, God bless she you, Joetta. Yeah, she had three months. Okay, you think about it. 
when I came in the first day, these people had something that I did not think was possible. Joetta had three months. Lindy had six months. And Lindy took me to my second meeting. And that was a young people's meeting because I was 24 years old. And I was done. And she took me to my second meeting, which was a young people's meeting. And I saw people younger than me. Lindy was younger than me. Michael was younger than me, both of whom are still sober. But it was the Friday, the Bethany meeting in Phoenix, Arizona. And it was, that was a speaker meeting and somebody spoke for a few minutes and, you know, they shared their story and they identified and they qualified or whatever you want to say people do when they speak. And then we broke up into groups and I was taken to the newcomers group. And the per- person heading up the newcomers group was a guy named Al Maxwell. And he used both names. He didn't care. He had 38 years. He had been 12 step by one person. When he was a young man, probably 35, that's what he considered young. They, they considered that young in the program at that time. He was uh, living in his mother's root cellar. She had uh, just lost all hope that he would ever get sober. And she, was in, she had put him in the root cellar. What's a root cellar? That is, it's not even a structure. It is a dugout under someone's house where they keep their potatoes. Oh. And it's cold. And this was in California. And it was just this dirt, dirt hole. And there was a ladder that went into the hole and his mother had taken the ladder out and he couldn't leave. And so she would throw bottles <laughs> down. He had plenty of food because he was in the root cellar, but she would throw bottles down to keep him from going into the DTs. <laughs> and she heard about AA coming to California. And so she called them and Al said the person who came out was helping found California AA. And he said, all of a sudden the trap door opened up and the light shone in. And there was a hand reaching down through the light and helped him up out of the root cellar, Mm. out of the dark. And that hand belonged to Bill Wilson. Literally? Literally. Wow. Wow, so that... uh, And he pulled him out of the dark into the light. That's the story I heard when I walked into that room. Al told me, you never have to feel this way again. And I haven't. I do want to ask you, you talked about Joetta and Lindy and Michael, how all of you all are still sober. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, people are wondering all the time, you know, how do I get sober and stay sober? Can you point to any sort of distinguishing factor that had you stay sober and some others not? I have no distinguishing factor other than a God consciousness, other than 
when I talk to Michael, even though he is very ill, has good days and bad days, his sobriety is the first thing he thinks about. I talk to Lindy, and her sobriety is what she thinks about. That's the first thing, the most important thing in their life is staying sober, no matter what's going on. And I've watched Lindy go through stuff, and I've watched Michael go through stuff. I watched John go through stuff. And when the going gets tough, they go to a meeting, they reach out to another alcoholic, they talk about it, they go volunteer somewhere, they go work with somebody, they go do something else to get out of that. And that's what they do. I mean, consistently, these, that's what I hear them doing, is working the program. Would you say that you see people come in on any sort of consistent basis that have a tendency to look for the differences versus the similarities when they come into Alcoholics Anonymous? Oh, sure. I mean, when I came in, that's what I did. I was looking for a way out. (laughs) You know, I was working, I was looking for it not to work because then I could walk out, go drink, and say, well, you know, AA doesn't work. I could say that. But what kept hitting me in the face was, was the sames. And what Al Maxwell told me to do was look for the sames, not the difference. And my sponsor told me, look for the sames, not the difference. I've never heard of that. Look for the sames, S-A-M-E-S, not the differences, right? Right. And I know things have changed over the years. I mean, but the basics of AA have stayed the same. The absolute basics, the 12 steps, the 12 traditions, the 12 principles, the promises, the big book pretty much stayed the same over, and John's been through three editions. I've been through two, and, I, and I've seen the other approved literature, and it hasn't changed much. Mm-hmm. There have been the, the um, histories. Al Maxwell is in Dr. Bob and the Good Old Timers. Um, Pass It On is the history of Bill Wilson. You read those, and you find out what the sames are. And it was the same back then as it is today. It's one alcoholic helping another alcoholic. The program is is built to get us out of self. The program is built to get us into life, but not drinking as we do it. Because life's going to happen no matter what. It's how I react to it that's important. Yeah, so let's talk about that. So, in fact, I was in a meeting this morning. Uh, and it talked about a spiritual ex- experience and basically uh, how we react to life being differently, right? Um, and I think that's hard to grasp for some people. Can you kind of give people some examples of what it's like to react to life in a different way once you come into the program and practice the program of recovery, the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous? It's probably most important to know it's not them, it's me. How I used to react was, oh, poor me. They did, they did this to me. They, they hurt me. They, they, they. And then I, when I worked the program, I found out that it was 
my reaction to what they did. Now, people can be cruel and they can be evil and they can do horrible things. And I have had things happen to me that are totally somebody else's character defects. But it talks about in the big book, we step on people's toes seemingly without provocation, okay? Or people step on our toes. Whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It's how I react to it that matters. It's saying, oh, there's someone having a really bad day. It's not that they're doing it to me. They may not even know I exist. But when it happens to me, it becomes all about me. The programs taught me to go, it's not about me, it's them. They are having a bad day. Has nothing to do with who I am or what I am. It's they're having a bad day. They may be angry about something I had no idea I did. You know, and I have to look at what I did. Did I do anything to hurt them? Okay, if I didn't, then I just walk on and say, not my circus, not my monkeys. (laughs) (laughs) I've heard that a couple times before. I like that. Not my circus, not my monkeys. Or the one about the hula hoop. It's not in my hula hoop. Yeah, so I haven't heard that in a while. So go ahead and explain to people what that means, the hula hoop. Okay. For one thing, I never was able to work a hula hoop properly, but it was always down on the ground and I was standing in the middle of it. Okay, everything that belongs to me is within that round thing. That's mine. My actions, my reactions in my hula hoop. Their actions, their reactions, not in my hula hoop. That's right. And just in case you don't know what a hula hoop is, look at it online, right? And there are people who listen to this in different countries. I'm assuming most people know what it is, but... Yeah, I just think about standing in the middle of a circle. Here's another thing I want to address. You know, there's there's people that are listening to this right now um, who are saying, okay... Those people, they're bad alcoholics, and there's this type of alcoholic, and there's that type of alcoholic. There are various types of alcoholics anonymous, excuse me, various types of alcoholics, which you know. Yeah. Talk to me about the different types of alcoholics that are out there in the land, so to speak. You know, you talked about a second ago, people trying to differentiate, Mm -hmm. not looking for the sames. Right. So. Okay. When I came in, we used to talk often about how people reacted to alcohol differently. And some were alcoholics, some weren't. The ones that were alcoholics would, all of us would react to alcohol differently. There are the the drunks who uh, would start drinking when they were 16 years old, take off and run with it until they sobered up or until they died. Then there were the drunks who would keep it together until they were in college, and then they would go on a, go on a drunk and stay drunk forever. Then there were the drunks who would wait till they retired. It talks about it in the big book. You know, the guy who retired and thought, oh, I can drink now, and then he was off and running and died from it. Dead in a short period of time. Right. 
And then there are the drunks who can drink for short periods of time, but with grave consequences, the periodics. And there are people in the program who come in and say, well, I only drank for for six months, but I paid all these consequences. The minute the booze hit the, the lips, everything that was important instantly became unimportant. But they were off and running for six months, then they stopped. Then they were off and running for six months, then they stopped. And they never knew when that would happen. But they drank alcoholically when they drank. Once they started drinking, they couldn't predict what was going to happen. And then there's the people who are the Andas. The what? The Andas. Oh, yeah, yeah. Alcoholic Anda. Anda. (laughs) So they're the people who, who drank and did drugs. Or they would drink for a while, then they do drugs for a while, then they drink for a while, then they do drugs for a while. You know, but always putting something into their body that would change the way they felt. You know, so you've got all kinds of different types of alcoholics, but they're all alcoholics. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. All right, so I'm going to pause here for just a second. We will be continuing our conversation with Julie W. in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the web at W www.soberspeak.com. There you will find over a hundred other episodes you can listen to for free. You can also find the donate button on our website if you wish to use it, if and only if the spirit moves you. Please keep in mind this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. Soberspeak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. All right, now back to Ms. Julie W. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the difficulties that I know that you have been through within your own personal journey in sobriety. One of those um, is your... Uh, uh, your your battle, I guess you would call it, with cancer. Uh, when did that happen? And can you kind of walk us through that and how the program may have lent a hand during that time? So in 2003, I was diagnosed with late stage cancer and was given a get your affairs in order talk by my oncologist. And so I did. And during that time, I relied heavily on my higher power and on my husband and my family and on my program. Because I was, when I was first diagnosed, it was like such a shock that I was just kind of walking through this haze for probably about two months and then was um, went through a surgery and I wake up and one of the people I sponsored was sitting on my feet at the end of the bed (laughs) in the hospital and I was like why is she sitting on my feet 
And I realized that she was crying. And I said, don't worry, I'm going to be okay. You know, I'm okay right now. Today, I'm okay. Today, I'm okay. And she just looked at me. She goes, no, I'm going through all this stuff. And I was afraid to tell you because you were so sick. And I said, just tell me. And because she was telling me what was going on in her life, her struggle to stay sober, I got out of myself and got out of that feeling of uselessness and of of powerlessness that I had over this disease that I had and realized that all I needed to do was was to listen to her and get out of self. And my whole aspect of the disease that I was fighting became almost nothing compared to what I could still do as a human being, as an alcoholic, as a recovering alcoholic. I could still carry the message, and I could still be of service. That was huge for me. But there she was sitting on my feet, And, and I was sitting there going... Should I tell her she's sitting on my feet? <laughs> and I never did. I never did. It was it was just, you know, what can I do to help her? And I don't know if I helped her at all, but it certainly helped me. And it turned me totally around. I became active in my recovery in the cancer situation. But I got to tell you, one of the hugest things was John and I were leaving the oncologist's office after we got the diagnosis. And I'm sure that the look on our face was just total shock. And there was this man who came out in the hallway, followed us out to the elevator, and stopped us and said, I want you to know I've been where you're at. My wife had the same, had cancer, and she's doing fine. And I wanted you to, I wanted to tell you that this is not a death sentence and you're going to be okay. And to this day, that still brings tears to my eyes because here was another person in my life who gave, gave me hope. He, I have no idea who he was, where he is. All I know is that that moment I realized that here and now, I'm okay. You never saw him again? Nope. But he was there exactly for that. And it's like Lindy sitting across from me. It's like Al Maxwell saying, you never have to feel this way again. It's the people in my life who show up and say exactly what I need. You know, or exactly, it's like sitting in that meeting at Frisco with you the other day and, and Thursday and listening to exactly what I needed to hear. It was about the similarities and the differences. And I immediately went back to look for the sames, not the difference. That was 2003. Yep. This is 2019. Yes, it is. <laughs> and I'm not dead yet. <laughs> the, what is that? Uh, I don't know who said it, but the, the rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated. Or that something. was Mark Twain. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened? I went through the treatment. I went into, um, 
I went into surgery, and they went in to take the cancer out, and they thought that they were just going to go in. This is what my doctor told me. He thought he was going to just open me up and see what was in there and close me right up and send me home with hospice. Mm. He went in, opened me up, found the cancer was smaller than he thought, smaller than it showed on the CAT scan, and he removed the cancer, and I went through chemo and radiation, and two years later I was cancer-free and have been ever since. And this is more of an this is more of another topic. I've always heard that sometimes the treatment for cancer can cause more issues than uh, just a bunch of different issues. Mm-hmm. Were you okay in that arena? You always have residuals. I mean, it's just if you go through chemo, you have residuals. If you go through radiation, you have residuals. And I went through both at the same time. And so, you know, it's just something you deal with. I mean, because I'm not dead. Right. <laughs> it's better than the alternative. <laughs> That's right. And I learned in the program that you look for the I look for the light, not the darkness. It's been, you know, 40 years that that I should not have a life. I mean, and I do have one. When I was sitting in the Golden 8-Ball, having my last drink, which was a beer. The Golden 8-Ball? It was a pool hall. Don't even... I mean, it was really bad. I think it was on Van Buren in Phoenix. Anyway, <laughs> I'm sitting in that that bar, that pool hall, having my last drink and feeling like my life was over. I mean, that pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. I really believed at that moment that this was the way it was going to be forever, and I had no hope. So we've come from that point of hopelessness, and the next day I go into a meeting, and there is this little glimmer of hope that if this person across from me can do it, and they are smiling, and they are living life, I can do it too. So, you know, you have been in Alcoholics Anonymous, obviously, for over 40 years, and there's a lot of, uh, I don't want to say controversy, but there's different people who think, you know, you have to work the program this particular way. And if you don't work it this particular way, the way that we work it, your life is hanging in the balance. Address that a little bit in the different ways that you see people work the program. I have seen through my years and all the meetings that I've been to and all the people that I have been in contact with, I have seen as many ways to work the program as there are people in recovery. Each person walks their own path. Each person works the steps as life happens to them. And we all have a different path. We all have a different life. And I will tell you that when we moved from Scottsdale to Chicago, I was like, they don't do AA right here. Right. I was like, I don't know if I want to go to these meetings in Chicago. They're they're kind of they're kind of weird. <laughs> I don't know how they stay so. And I started But I remember, look for the sames, not the difference. Go until you want to go. 
sit your butt all the way down in the chair. All the things that sponsorship taught me, all the things that all the people who had gone on before me had taught me, I used when we moved to Chicago because I felt like a duck out of water. I didn't know anybody, and I felt strange, and I, I felt foreign, and, and their program felt foreign. And I was like, oh, I need my Bally Allen Scottsdale AA. And, but I had felt that way when I went to Scottsdale when I married John because I had gone from the Arid Club. The what club? A, Arid Club. Oh, arid, like that's dry. where we met. Yeah, yes. that's where we met John. I, I met him John. And, about that. and I'd gone from that AA to Scottsdale AA. Oh my God. You know, and it's, it's just different people. It's just people who've had different experiences. And when we moved to Chicago, it was like, oh my gosh. And then we moved from Chicago to here. And it's like, oh, here we are trying to find Carrollton Group. Okay, we move in February 90 and I'm we're trying to find the Carrollton group, which is hard to find. It's hard to find. Right. Yes. And we had driven around for two days trying to find the Carrollton group. And I was like, well, this is a sign. You know, John, this is a sign. You know, we're we're not supposed to go here. But we decided to take one more loop around 35 to see if we could find it on the access road. And we found it and we walked in and you were there. Yeah. So yeah, Julie is talking about, this is how we actually met both John and Julie and myself. And uh, that would have been what year? 90, February 90. You had just a few months. That's correct. And bright red hair. (laughs) But I remember to this day, you sitting across, and I think it was a six o'clock meeting. It was 6 p.m., and you were sitting across from us, and Bob LB was there. And it was a meeting just like any other meeting. It had its differences, but it was it had the 12 steps, 12 traditions on the wall. It had the big book. You guys read How It Works. You talked about sobriety, you talked about alcoholism, you talked about working the steps, you talked about sponsorship, you talked about the same things that work in AA from the very beginning, from the first, you know, from the Bill and Bob days. So that's when I hear controversy about, oh, you're not doing it right, or oh, I I think of, what was it, the... Uh, Rule sixty. Rule sixty-two. Two. Yes. You know, don't take yourself so, so seri- damn serious. That's right. Yeah, because everybody has a different attitude. You're talking about coming from different experiences, and I recommend that people I sponsor go to as many different groups as they can to meet as many people in the program as they can, to hear all the different ways that people stay sober. I believe that a home group is important because then you have people who know you, but it's also important to carry the message out to the people who don't. We each have a message, and when I I don't hear pass it on enough anymore. When I first got sober, 
pass it on was part of the whole thing. It was constant with our sponsors. They would say, go out and work with someone else. Pass it on. Pass on which that which was given to you freely. And that is the epitome of getting out of self. I got out of self when I was the most bereft in my cancer because somebody needed my help. Thank God. And just in case those of you are wondering, there are those of you out there wondering what Rule 62 is in the 12 and 12, uh, one of our books in Alcoholics Anonymous. And if you just Google it, Rule 62, I'm sure it will come up. Uh, It's basically don't take yourself so damn seriously, though. Right. And everybody has their rules. But the main thing is sobriety. And are we carrying the message? Are we passing it on? Pass It On is also the name of uh, Bill W.'s, uh, uh, was that an autobiography or was that a biography? It was a biography. A biography, okay. Which is uh, a great book. And if you haven't read that. Yeah. Uh, all right, Julie. So we are coming down here to the last moments. You have people listening to you in all four corners of the world. Uh, through your experience, strength, and hope, why don't you try to sum up what AA has taught you, uh, what you want others to know, um, and how you feel about the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. What AA has taught me is that I am a person of value, that I, there is a reason for me being here. And that reason is for me to pass on what I have learned. And that's, that is probably the most important aspect of my program. But first, I have to learn something, you know, in order to pass it on. So I go to meetings and I listen. And that part of the program is really important, is that listening part of the program, because I don't know everything. I don't have magic answers. I simply have the fact that I stayed sober today. And so today was a good day. And the program of Alcoholics Anonymous is three things. It's service, it's unity, and my mind just... Recovery. Recovery. And recovery is the most important part of it. Because without recovery, you don't have... You aren't going to be able to be of service. And without recovery, there is no unity. So first, I have to get sober. And then I have to get involved in the fellowship and go to meetings. And then I have to take what I've learned in here and take it out there and carry the message, and pass it on. That makes sense. That is fantastic. Well, I sure have enjoyed spending time with you, Miss Julie W. This has been absolutely fantastic. I've enjoyed it, too. Good, good. I'm, I, you know, like you said, we've known each other for 30-plus years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is uh, good to actually sit down one-on-one with you, have a little chat, have a little coffee, at least for me, mm-hmm. and, uh, um, you know, kind of both reflect on what has been and also gain insight from you on uh, what is important to you and what Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 Steps have done for you. And I appreciate you coming in here and sharing it with the listeners. Namaste. Thank you. All right. So now I am going to read 
from page 164 of the big book. It says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Julie, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, thank you so much, Miss Julie. Thank you. Muchas gracias, Miss Julie. Thank you so much for coming in here and spending some time with me. I do appreciate it, and I know the listeners will as well. All right, now time for a little bit of listener feedback or listener de la feedback or feedback de la listener. You folks take your choice. All right. This is not really listener feedback per se, but I don't know exactly where to squeeze this in sometime. I was cruising through or perusing our secret Facebook group activity recently, and I saw something that Gary Kay had posted in there. I wanted to read this. Um, By the way, it is the same Gary Kay, just in case you are a regular listener of the show, uh, that has been on several of the episodes on Sober Speak. But Gary Kay posted, he said, through pride, we are deceiving ourselves, but deep down below the surface of the average conscience is a still small voice that says to us, something is out of tune. And that's by Carl Jung. All right, so let me read that again. Through pride, we are deceiving ourselves, but deep down below the surface of the average conscience is a still small voice that says to us, quote, something is out of tune, unquote, by Carl Jung. And just in case you don't know who Carl Jung is, he is a Oh, part of the history of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'm not going to go through all that yet here, but uh, he was the guy that Roland went to see over in Europe, and then he came back and got involved with the Oxford groups and all that sort of thing. But uh, thank you for posting that. Also, Gary K. posted another thing, which I thought was uh, absolutely uh, hilarious, and he said, make somebody happy today, mind your own business. (laughs) And that was from the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Let me read that again. Make somebody happy today. Mind your own business. All right. There's another thing that's been going on in the secret Facebook group lately, and uh, it's from Maria R. Maria R. has had a couple of episodes on Sober Speak, and uh, she started recently a blog. Now, I'm not a writer. Uh, I've just, has this never been my thing, but Maria is a writer and she started a blog called soberblessings.com and that's the URL. You can go and find it if you want. Once again, soberblessings.com. It's a blog and she calls it, it's about a sober mama living one blessed day at a time. And I've seen several of the articles she's written in there and I love it. So go check it out when you can. And we also have a ton of B-days or birthdays and anniversaries uh, being celebrated in the secret Facebook group. Uh, Some of these are one week. 
Some of them are one month. Some of them are one year. Uh, When I checked it out today, I saw 40 years in there. And my friend Nelson actually recently celebrated 28 years himself. And so there's all sorts of birthdays and celebrations. Once again, if you would like to be part of that secret Facebook group, just send me your email to John J-O-H-N at SoberSpeak.com. And remember, it has to be the email associated with your Facebook account because that's where the invites go out to. All right. So, oh, and here's another thing that somebody posted in the group. And they, so this was kind of a feedback thing. And they say, for those, and I don't want to say her her name because I didn't get permission ahead of time, but she, she says, for those who have had the obsession of the mind removed, how long did it take you? I am currently 10 months sober and I'm finding myself wanting to drink all the time. It's not as strong as it was in the beginning, but it's still very discouraging. This would be so much easier if I could just stop wanting to drink. And I completely understand that. She got tons of feedback. And so that's another type of thing that we do in the secret Facebook group. Uh, uh, we give, you know, um, if people ask questions, they get feedback. I usually don't give feedback, but there are a ton of people in there who are more than willing to provide you some feedback. All right. Rob writes in and Rob says, I live in Stillwell, Kansas. I am 54 years old. I have been sober now for 105 days. I found Sober Speak by searching for a podcast on recovery. It has been a great help to me. I attend meetings daily and listen to your podcast to supplement my recovery. God bless you and keep up the great work. Well, God bless you, Rob, and I'm so glad you are moving in the right direction. Congratulations on your 105, I'm sure, plus days now. Shelly K writes in and Shelly says, hi, John. After three years of sobriety, I have relapsed. Oh, I'm sorry, Shelly. Both of my parents have passed away recently. We have their home on the market. The heartbreak and stress got to me. I'm 58, changed jobs recently, and I'm working nights. I love my job and hate the hours. My husband has been diagnosed with bipolar depression this year. The doctor is working on getting the right meds. Until the meds are right, I never know what to expect. Very stressful, I can imagine. I went to the doctor and she helped me with my antidepressants. I've gone back to AA meetings. Well, good for you. I found Sober Speak on my lunch hour walk. The first podcast I heard was with Brenda J. Brenda J is amazing. Well, you're right. She is amazing. And that's why I'm bringing her into Sober Speak Live on December 6th. She says, I live in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm originally from Seattle, Washington. I'm an alcoholic trying to get back on the right track in sobriety. I do love being sober. However, this disease is powerful and I haven't had the strength to stop self-medicating. I've been in three different treatment facilities over the years and I don't want to go back. I, somehow I know I have to stop drinking on my own, Shelly. Well, Shelly, I would just add there that you don't have to stop drinking on your own. Um, it's a we program, and that we includes a higher power of your understanding. And I would ask those of you listening in out there in the uh, atmosphere, wherever you are listening to this, perhaps you could stay, perhaps you could pause and say, A, 
quick prayer for Shelly. God bless you, Shelly. Keep me posted. Bert, oh gosh, I can never pronounce this name right. B-I-R-T-E. Bert uh, writes in, uh, and she is from Oslo, Norway. She says, hi, John. Some listener feedback from Oslo, Norway. I have, as I have done the last Sundays, I went for a walk in the forests in Oslo while listening to Sober Speak. Oh, man. Today, I have listened to episode 105 with Denise B. and episode 85 with Don C. Sober Speak is really my meeting between meetings. I get a lot of spiritual inspiration. It is so nice for me here in Norway to gain insight on how you work the steps in the United States. Now I am six months and 16 days sober with the help of the fellowship, my sponsor, and my higher power. In Oslo, we have a gray November, a lot of rain, and about five degrees Celsius. Today, the clouds disappeared just before my 15 kilometers walk in the woods, and I listened to these amazing ladies as the sun shone. Thank you so much for the podcast, Brit. Oh, I, I, man, that made my day to get that. I love to know what people are doing. Once again, the PG rated type. I love to know what people are doing as they're listening to the podcast. And, uh, man, I'm jealous you get to walk in the woods of Norway and Oslo. Uh, that is just absolutely fantastic. And I passed on your comments to both Denise and to Don C. Uh, thank you again so much for writing in. Debbie writes in and she says, hi, John, I live in David Donville, Maryland. I hope I got that right. I was traveling to New York today on the train and search Spotify for recovery speakers. I was listening to your podcast with Gary Kay. Yes, there is the same Gary Kay again. I got through his steps one and two and steps three through nine podcasts. My sobriety date is October 18th, 2015. I thought his message on experience with these steps were fantastic. I already forwarded them to several sponsees and friends in the program. Thank you so much for your service work, John. Service is the secret. I believe that too, Debbie. I look forward to listening to your past and future podcasts. God bless you, Debbie T. Well, God bless you, Debbie. Right back out you, out you, at you. <laughs> and and uh, oh, I thank you for listening on that train. And uh, God bless you, your sponsees, and all the folks that you know there in the Maryland area. All right. That, folks, is the end. That is a wrap on another episode. I take it one week at a time. I will most likely be back next week. Until then, keep coming back. It works if you work it. Love you. P.S. And I forgot to add, we're going to close this episode out with a song by Miss Wendy Child called Ghost. Enjoy. Did you curse me?